Hello, welcome back. Madura, how are you? I'm good, Al. Thank hey, you for having me here. Of course. Thanks for joining me. I am, yeah, it's fantastic seeing you. It's been way too long since we've uh, seen one another in person. Hopefully that will happen uh, later this year. Uh, but in the meantime, you've been doing great work there at Syngenta. Uh, if you would, please introduce yourself, you know, who you're working with, what you're up to, and, and where you are. Absolutely. Thank you. First of all, really honored to be on your show. It's a privilege. So thank you for choosing me and for inviting me. Um, so currently I am leading the People Insights and Analytics team globally at uh, Syngenta. For those of you who are not aware of what we do as a company, we are a crop science, uh, crop protection and seeds uh, organization. Uh, approximately 30,000 with just the Syngenta. And now we've become Syngenta Group, which is a conglomerate of companies uh, across um, the world uh, with approximately 50,000 people. And uh, it's been three years, or actually more than three years. Uh, 2018, November is when I joined. Uh, so, yeah. Well, if I may say, uh, I have been a fan of your work for a long time. Um, I would put you uh, out as a professional researcher. Uh, not only do you have a doctorate, uh, but you have done research in the HR tech, the people analytics, the, the learning space for a number of years prior to joining Syngenta. So given that, you are very aware of research methods and the necessary or the need for mm -hmm. appropriate data to do analyses. And this is what we're going to be talking about today when we talk about uh, employee listening and getting the appropriate data. So, you know, if mm -hmm. you would, when we talk about multi-channel data collection and employee listening, what does that mean to you? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it could be an hour long discussion just on, just on that. Um, <laughs> we'll try and I'll try to keep it short and interesting, but so, so multi-channel is really with, with the plethora of data sets that we have today, right? We, we cannot just stick to one source of data, meaning just, you know, we're coming from a human capital system, like a workday or just survey data. Uh, and again, I come, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist and statistician by training. So uh, we love to deal with survey data and our, our training has been in, along those lines. But um, what we are finding now is there's email metadata and then there is, um, you know, Yammer or uh, just just platforms where people are commenting. And of course, there's Twitter, there's Glassdoor. So there's so many data sets that are um, basically capturing people's employee sentiment, whether your current employees or ex-employees or your future employees, right? So we have been trying to do our best in capturing those different sources of uh, sentiment or data when we talk about employee listening. And again, to be very honest, in hindsight, it looks like it was all part of a strategy, but a, a lot of times it wasn't. It was directly responding to a particular business need or a particular talent need because of which we had to go out and listen. And uh, we just chose the best possible source of data at that point. And it just so happened now that when we look back, uh, we have had a series of different sources, and that has just given us exponentially richer insights. Wow. Well, yeah, this is um, reminding me, I, I used to do workshops for uh, a group called the Positive Coaching Alliance out of Stanford University for uh, high school coaches or and youth coaches, as well as parents and young athletes themselves. And we used to have... Wow. Um, 
an exercise where we asked the participants to vote with their feet. So we give them some options and they would actually move to a certain place in the room. And the reason I call that out is that workers, employees are actually voting with their behaviors, with their actions, and mm -hmm. that's being mm -hmm. captured in data. So when you talk about certain business needs and looking at this behavioral data, their actual actions, what business needs are you trying to fill? I understand you have some examples that you'd like to share. Right, right. And let me back up a little bit, which which would make sense to talk about our uh, employee listening journey. Like I keep saying that it never started off formally as this is going to be our journey, but it was always responding to an organizational need. Um, so back in 2019, shortly after I joined, um, we were undergoing the performance management evolution and we were trying to figure out what exactly is needed for the next step or for the next iteration. And at that point, we we looked at the existing data already to look at what are our employees saying about uh, performance management. And we had some ideas. Uh, people, you know, some people loved it, some people hated it. We had some some qualitative, quantitative data around that. But uh, at that point, what we realized was instead of a few of us within HR uh, trying to figure out um, uh, what the next iteration should look like, why can't we ask employees uh, how we should reshape performance management? So what we did was, and here I am going to start sharing screen. I hope hopefully that works. Um, let me know if uh, does this work. You are doing outstanding, and yes, is <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So, um, so what we, we got together with our uh, performance management team, of course, and our communications team, and we said, uh, uh, you know, let's open this up and uh, ask people uh, their ideas about reshaping performance management and development at Syngenta. So, what you see here are some posters that we sent out. We put it up both virtually and in person back then we went to office. Um, so, uh, and then um, we looked at, uh, for some reason, the, the numbers are uh, on top of each other. I don't know how, if it's coming that way, but uh, so we had around uh, 506 submissions of ideas, uh, 222 people who said they would be further, um, uh, they want to be involved. And uh, uh, some 900 or so, uh, 922 uh, participations um, uh, in, in terms of, you know, people liking a topic or commenting or actually submitting an idea. And what you see at the end of it, I've skipped all the sausage making part, the actual analysis, uh, because that itself could be another uh, whole session. But at the end of it, we came up with five top themes on the left-hand side. So people were talking about the actual evaluation process um, that they had ideas about. People were talking about how development could be uh, made more mainstream. And, uh, and, and, and you can see some specific ideas on the right-hand side. I had to blur out a few because of confidentiality. But um, so, for example, people said there has to be a mechanism by which we recognize light managers for developing others. Uh, people talked about strengthening our cause to talk program, which is a program that we put in place uh, to encourage managers to talk to their employees uh, more frequently outside of, of the uh, performance management cycle. And then the third feedback uh, or category was around feedback. And a specific idea within that was how can we enable instant feedback supported by technology? Then the fourth category was around rewarding team versus individual performance. And the fourth one was around rewards. So 
these were the the top five themes that emerged uh, when people talked about reshaping performance management. On the right-hand side, there were 15 total ideas. And that um, we opened it up for voting again across um, the, the entire globe. Um, and the top five ideas then went into solutioning, uh, which were then baked into the next iteration of performance management. So, so once again, this wasn't a survey. Um, we, we had just done our annual survey at that point. So we realized that we cannot or should not be sending out yet another survey. And there was some, some hesitation uh, around, you know, one more survey. So we said, let's open it up. Let's hear qualitatively and let's let the ideas flow. So um, that's, uh, and again, I'm going to stop sharing here. Uh, hopefully that works. Uh, um, so that was an example of the uh, a need, an organizational need at that point, which had to be met uh, across our global workforce. And we listened. Well, if I might just ask one quick question in that journey, because if you're asking people to vote, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a greater sense of ownership in the outcome. And what, what was the participation rate relative to the total employee population on that vote? Yeah, so we had around 10,000 people um, or 10,000 unique engagement. So, for example, either through voting or liking or assigning chips, there were some creative ways we, we um, organized that voting. So, and our population at that point was 30,000 globally. So you can say one third um, of, of the population took part in some shape or form. Um, but yeah, you can ask, you can always say, well, you know, why not 90%? But you always have to think about the alternative. If it wasn't this one third, it would have been 10 of us in HR um, deciding the next wave of uh, performance management. Instead of that, we had uh, one third of the global population uh, participate in the decision making. Got it. Now, did you measure the satisfaction with the former process relative to the new process? So we did, we did some qualitative uh, feedback uh, around this particular process. And it is an evolution. It's not like, mm -hmm. there were some major steps. We did away with forced ranking and all of that. But other than that, there were constant incremental changes that we did. Uh, um, and we could, we could see that progress. So for example, there were more and more people uh, giving feedback using the technology that we put in place as a result. Uh, so there were those measures that we have. Um, um, yeah. Again, people are voting with their feet. They're voting with their behaviors. Yes. So that's true. That's true. Yeah. And, so right. And, and what we, what we really, uh, it helped us or it enabled us was when we talked about these changes, we could say that, uh, you know, we heard you and we put this in place because you told us that this is important. Right. And that makes a lot of difference rather than HR is coming up with another round of performance management or is redesigning performance management. We could actually say that we heard from our global population and this is why we made these few changes. So that, that really helps in the messaging. Oh gosh. And picking up on the messaging, uh, you know, it's one thing to do these, you know, projects and, but you correct me if I'm wrong, 
have a responsibility to communicate what's happening as well as some of the you know successes and what you plan to do so what does that communication look like are you communicating to the whole organization or are you communicating via uh, a newsletter or via um, leaders in different business units or functions what does that communication look like so there's definitely um a set of central communications that go out uh, mm-hmm. every time or back then after after we did this initiative, we said, you know, we are doing away, we heard you, we are doing away with um, uh, forced rankings, uh, we, are, we are introducing, you know, the instant feedback, et cetera, et cetera. But then we also leave it to the business units to cascade within uh, themselves and tweak it according to their needs. Um, so it's it's a mix of both central and uh, use specific uh, communications that we do, and we 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 continue that journey, right? So we did some changes in back in 2019. Then we continued to evolve. We had a thorough um, analysis done whether performance management ratings changed or were there biases in the system as a result of um, taking out a forced ranking. Uh, that gave us some insight. So we started communi- communicating that in the next round. Um, yeah. So it was a constant process of communication. It, it wasn't one big bang thing that we launched. It, yeah, I, it, with your permission, I'd like to just step back for a second because I know you have uh, some things to share about uh, ONA and some of the other work that, that you've done as well as productizing you know, analytics. Uh, but I want to step back and just ask this very basic question, given that you've researched the space and now you're a leader in the space is, you know, what is the ultimate measures of success? What are the ultimate measures of success for you? Is it heightened confidence among leaders? Is it uh, heightened engagement uh, among uh, people within the workforce? What does it look like to you? You know, um, if if you asked me um, when I was uh, a researcher, I would have given you very quantitative answers of you need to track this and you know this metric and that. Uh, but having um, having been a practitioner even before I was a researcher, I was more of a uh, uh, I, I came from the practitioner world. Uh, it's sometimes it is about changing the conversation, and I'll come to much more concrete uh, metrics. But if uh, if if you come into an organization where people don't even ask for data when they're making decisions. And two years down the road after you have you know, established a team, you have tried to do stuff with people analytics, uh, people are, your HRBPs are saying, so where's the data? Why are you, uh, uh, what are you backing up this with? Or uh, they're going to their business leaders with a set of um, quantitative findings. So actually engagement has increased or NPS has increased by 10 points uh, and you need to, talk about this in your uh, town hall, that's progress. You have changed the conversation, essentially. Right. And again, if you ask me, how do you measure that? We don't know. But I'm constantly seeing that, that the need for data and people uh, helping HR population, helping their business leaders, uh, arm them with data, equip them with data, that's progress. Now, beyond that, a more theoretical answer, since I have come from that world, uh, could be, how exactly are we enabling employees with analytics to change their uh, work, to change their life? Uh, uh, it's not just about engagement scores and key driver analysis. Are we taking these and making the lives of employees easier? Are we making their jobs easier? Are we helping leaders make better decisions? So the individual level um, 
facilitation or, or anything that we can do to help people with data at an individual level or insights at an individual level, that I think is a uh, success metric. Well, I love that response and uh, I can't you know, agree or support it enough because uh, it is multidimensional. Uh, yeah. It is, yeah, we're, we have a lot of uh, people that we're serving in, in, in doing this work. Among them, this audience. Uh, so before we get too far from it, uh, a question came in uh, from Tamara. How did you collect the qualitative responses? What platform or right. form did you use? Do you mind taking that on? Sure, sure. So um, there is an external company called uh, Bright Idea, and I can look it up or send you the exact link. Uh, we have a license uh, for that, and uh, our internal team uh, actually has, you know, done some wonders and magic on that platform and make it made it more Syngenta-like, and we call it One Innovation Platform. So this is a generic platform that we use for any crowdsourcing. We just we didn't use it just for this. There were some other crowdsourcing activities in the businesses that happened. Uh, so we called it the One Innovation uh, Platform. We use that. Got it. And the, um, you know, I want to take well, thank you for that answer, because when we talk about innovation platforms, I mean, that can be a whole nother line uh, of discussion. But yeah, I, I know that you have some comments on ONA and the future of work. Right, so right, sure right, right. Too. Yeah, absolutely. So um, back to your question of what were the business needs and talent needs uh, that prompted us to go on this journey, the, the ONA work actually came directly from um, a business need. So one of our business units, they were trying to reorganize their people physically, again, pre-COVID times, um, to neighborhoods, to um, different physical locations where they think that, you know, team A works with team B, so they should be sitting next to each other, regardless of organization, hierarchy, or charts. Um, so the, the need was, um, can we validate with data whether uh, putting them in neighborhoods are actually increasing their collaboration? Um, because up until now, up until then, it was more of a, just a plan of, you know, let's just put team A with team C and team D with team E uh, next to each other. So, um, back then we pitched the idea of ONA and, um, it was, it was accepted, but by then COVID hit and, uh, the problem statement had to be changed. And, um, uh, we were more interested in saying that, hey, we may not be able to look at the effect of people sitting next to each other and whether collaboration has increased as a result of that. But um, we can look at whether when people came to the office, uh, how were these different uh, teams interacting with each other and has that increased or decreased when they're working from home? Because at that point, everybody was working from home. So it was a great yeah. experimental condition. Uh, couldn't <laughs> be better uh, in real life. So. The business leaders were very much bought into that uh, and, and they were already invested in this idea. So that helped. And uh, then we looked at um, different uh, demographics and see, and, and we basically saw whether um, uh, collaboration has increased or decreased. And we, we saw, we looked at a bunch of things, but just one of the things that we um, saw here was, again, I'm going to try to share. Um, and am I on slideshow? You are now. Okay, perfect. So, uh, this was one of the results we partnered with, uh, trust sphere. Uh, it's one of the leaders in the space. Um, so what we found was different teams, um, became much more internally focused, uh, when compared, uh, when they're in remote settings compared to 
their on-site setting. So the yellow dots that you see are pre-lockdown, meaning people were coming to office and the, the blue dots are during lockdown. Um, and external orientation, it's not external to Syngenta. What it means is it's external to the different categories that we looked at. So on the on the x-axis, you see the A, B, C, D, E, F. Those are just different demographic categories. So think of them as gender or generation or, uh, you know, uh, uh, what else did we look at? Uh, work level, things like that. So, so becoming more internally focused means, so if I belong to Gen Y, then I tend to start collaborating more with Gen Y people, but be before lockdown, I was collaborating with uh, folks across the generation, right? So whatever that category was, we saw that people were becoming much more internally focused as a result of the lockdown. Now, what that meant was in the lockdown or remote working environment, how can we deliberately design some connection mechanisms by which uh, we can force, almost force people to collaborate with each other um, uh, when they're uh, remotely, when they're not sitting next to each other, right? Because otherwise we run a huge risk of uh, people becoming very internally focused. Uh, and, and think of that, what it does to the DNI conversation, the, the, the DNI uh, ambition that we have. So that was one of the uh, big uh, findings that came out of it. Uh, so, uh, and then one quick other, um, let me... Uh, should I start? Okay, there you go. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I didn't know whether to stop sharing. So um, the other um, the other question or uh, need was just after the ONA was we uh, we started doing a lot of future of work listening, and that also was a journey because we didn't know whether to do it globally. We started small and then started we we started going global, and. Um, there, for example, it was a survey. So the org network analysis was more of metadata, uh, mm -hmm. collaboration data. The performance management was qualitative listening. And uh, the future of work was a plain survey there. And um, there, what we saw was um, uh, we did a bunch of, you know, pure survey analysis, but um, there you uh, one of the things we found out was when we, we did a simple key driver analysis and uh, we said, what are some of the biggest factors that impact uh, successful remote work or people having confidence in remote work in the future? Because the sentiments were very varied. There were segments of the workforce that absolutely did not believe in remote work as a sustainable solution. And there were certain other segments uh, in the workforce who were very much okay with it. Um, so what we were interested to see what were the drivers of this confidence in remote work as a sustainable solution. And what we found was that these were the top three drivers. So the extent to which people felt that they can support their customers remotely, the extent to which people felt they can do their work effectively. Thank God for that. I keep saying if we didn't find that, I would be worried. And the third was the extent to which people felt connected with their colleagues. So the more they felt connected in whatever way, during COVID-19, the more they felt that this could be a long-term solution. So once again, the, the point being that whether I'm able to support the customer, whether I'm able to do my work and whether I can connect with others were the biggest predictors of whether I think remote work is sustainable in the, in the future. And that triggered a lot of interesting or a lot of good conversation in our future of work program as to how we can make this work. 
Yeah. So you do have a future of work program and there's a bunch of questions that jump out. Um, number one, you know, what are you doing to create that more inclusive feeling, expand the network beyond these, you know, uh, isolated, you know, cohorts. Uh, and that's probably a big question, but if you have a comment on that, but the question right behind it will be future of work is often a very esoteric concept, but it sounds like you actually have initiatives around it. Is this something that you discuss, you know, frequently? And if so, who's in the room discussing that or who's in the, the room right. so to speak, discussing that? Yes. So, so for, Almost one and a half years, we ran that as a program, and now we are at a stage where we are kind of handing it over in, in the self-service model. Um, but for for that one, one and a half years, there were people from facilities, HR, the, the two business units, and uh, IT uh, all coming together in the steering committee um, to see what exactly do we need to do. And there were a lot of research, employee listening, both quantitative, qualitative that happened. And at the end of it, he said there were four things that we, uh, or four or five initiatives that we wanted to focus on. So they were around um, hiring uh, being one. So we have to move to a place where we are okay with, you know, X percent of remote hire. Uh, mm -hmm. And keep in mind that, you know, that seems like a very obvious goal, but we were a company where we were location based. We weren't. We weren't uh, a company where we would hire from anyone, and remote work was uh, was an obvious choice. So, so there were three or four such pillars that were identified, and then we started uh, walking towards con making those pillars more concrete. But again, long story short, at this point, after we came up with those four or five pillars, um, we identified ten pioneer sites uh, across the globe who wanted to try these things out. Um, so that's going on right now, but again, some of it, or I would say some efforts are, are, are halted because we are still not back in office, right? So yeah, a lot yeah. of measurement and whether, uh, whether these things are going to work can only come to fruition when uh, people are back in office. And in many of these sites, we aren't, uh, so right now we are still continuing with the 10 pioneer sites, but we are moving on to a more self-service model where they're going to continue with their measurement their policies and their offers for future of work. And then maybe we, we move it to uh, or, or spread it out globally after that. And is this steering committee, is it called Future of Work Steering Committee? What, what's its name? Yeah, it is called Future of Work Steering Committee. I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid it's not more creative than that. <laughs> no, it, it's fantastic. I mean, it's uh, when I am asked about what future of work looks like or how organizations can address it, I mean, the I often advocate first who, then what, you know, get the right people in the room and have a discussion. I love the fact that you have that diverse group of facilities, IT, HR, and, you know, on down the line. So, you know, kudos to you. And it sounds like it's reaping benefits. And correct me if I'm wrong, yes. it, it'll enable you to flex and flow as realities shift. You know, are we going to have another variant? You know, to what extent is return to workplace going to be a reality? Right. Are we going to stay in hybrid? So do you view this future of work steering committee being an ongoing governing body? Um, in my view, um, possibly a, a subset of the steering committee becomes this, this continuous uh, governing body. And uh, we also, this, the, the current steering committee should, and we are planning to leave a legacy of, you know, mm -hmm. these are the things that should continue. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas these are the things which these were one-time efforts and we can, we can park them for now. 
Um, but yeah, it, it was a massive effort. So I don't think we can carry on with these much, these many resources and uh, efforts uh, for a long time. So it has to be a subset over time. But uh, leaving the legacy and identifying what are the things that can be carried through uh, in the pioneer sites is really important. Well, Madura, I mean, it's such a pleasure to talk with you and listen and learn with you from you. Um, I know it's uh, late afternoon, early evening there, and uh, I know there's so much more that we can explore, but I want to be respectful of, of your time. Um, as we start to close here, any other uh, things that you'd like to share or tidbits of advice that you'd like to put out there? You know, just a couple of thoughts. One is when we think about employee listening and measurement, um, what we realized is, again, we didn't come out of a strategy, but when we ended up doing listening through various channels, it's, it's really important that we marry the different sources of data. I didn't talk about it, but as part of it, we also looked at some influencer, influencer profiles uh, as part of the org network analysis. And then we married the survey data along with the influencer profile to see who are these influencers. And uh, what we saw was the influencers in the remote setting were much more diverse, but it, they're also people who are at, uh, running the risk of burnout. So. Mm. Just just marrying these different types of data give you such a richer set of insights that we often miss with one single source of data. That has mm. been the, the biggest uh, learning for us. And we, we want to now do it as part of strategy, uh, which, which we never did before. And the other thing is we have to think about outcomes other than productivity. Future of work taught us that, right? So we, we tend to talk about were people equally productive in a remote setting versus uh, on-site setting. And what we saw was, you know, burnout, collaboration are equally important outcomes that we have to talk about. You know, we, we, we should think about what can we do to facilitate more collaboration? What can we do to think about to, to, to increase well-being? So the, the, in the quest of uh, productivity, these other outcomes often get lost. And uh, we have to remind ourselves that these are equally important outcomes, uh, both in statistical analysis and even otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, gosh, I can't echo that enough. And yeah, it's it's beautiful to hear, obviously, with the pandemic that has elevated consciousness that we are human beings, we do have constraints. And so well-being is not only a nice to have, it's a, it's critical. Mm -hmm. So I celebrate that you're looking at that. And obviously, business still needs to get done. Uh, Rajesh, I see that you have a, a question. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap now. But uh, I'm going to put it up here in case, uh, Madhur, you have a, a quick uh, response. The question is, how do you define future of work for your organization? Um, what that was the process might be a bigger uh, reply. But it, it, it's interesting insofar as that future of work is could be esoteric, but you might have just alluded to it. But yeah, quick uh, re reply to that. You know, just a quick reply would be, you know, what are some of the different ways of working that are going to change and what will require a mindset shift? So, for example, hybrid working for us, for a company like Syngenta was primarily worked uh, in the sites. Um, uh, what does that look like? Trying to define that. What are the mindset shifts required in order to enable hybrid working? So those are the aspects uh, that we that we identified um, and we are trying to put in place. So again, a two seconds uh, response to a year-long journey. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Madura, again, congratulations. Thank you for being your awesome self. Thank you for sharing time. Uh, you uh, have a great weekend, please, with your you. family. Well-deserved rest, I, I hope, is in store for you. Um, how can people learn more about you and what you're doing? 
I'm on LinkedIn, so feel free to connect. And thank All you right. for having me. It's uh, wonderful talking to you, as always. Uh, <laughs> thank you much. All right, you be well. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.